Hey folks, Chris and Rich here. Uh, just want to talk to you real quick about the folks we do our podcast hosting through. Our podcast is powered by Podbean Podcast Hosting. Now, if you're thinking about starting your own podcast or you're looking for the best home for your podcast, I want to encourage you to check out all the amazing features that Podbean offers with unlimited bandwidth and storage for an affordable price. That's right, it's unlimited. So visit uh, podbean.com slash V-O-R radio to check it out today. And again, that's podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash V-O-R-R-A-D-I-O. Thanks for checking it out. We'd really appreciate it. And if you're wanting to podcast, this is a really great place to do it. We've been doing with this with them for quite a few years now, and we've been very uh, grateful for all their help and for their the tools that they have available. Please give it a che- uh, check, and I think you'll be happy with it. So now we're on to the show. Hey, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host this week, Chris Honholtz, not with Richard's story. Sorry to let you guys know that. Uh, Rich is taking care of some family stuff. Nothing major, no major crises or anything. Just family always comes first. That's always been one of the uh, promises we made to each other when we started this program nearly seven years ago. Cannot believe that we're already that far into this. Um, thank you for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you so much for all the, the listening and sharing you guys did last week. I'm, I'm very astonished at just how much uh, that particular episode, uh, how much uh, downloads and, and interaction we had with that episode. So thank you so very much. I uh, want to remind you, we are part of the Christian podcast community. It is a collection of Christian podcasts that have come together for the specific purpose of promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ, for teaching sound theology, and a variety of other topics. And I'll tell you right now, as we've always said before, if you're looking for good, biblically sound content, you need to go to Christian Podcast Community. Also, want to remind you that we uh, have a website called slavetothekeng.com. That is where you will find all our most updated content, and it's how you can get a hold of us. We also got a very long email through that contact, uh, contact us page. Again, in that's another time. Not entirely sure what it was about. I think he just sent it out to very <laughs> every Christian uh, website he could find. But uh, such is the case when you have <laughs> the ability to reach out and touch people. So, but I still want you guys to come check that out. And uh, you know, again, you can contact us through it. You can find our social media connections for this program on there. You can find the RSS feed. Had someone uh, ask us just the other day if we have to, if you can, if you only can use the Podbean app with who, who, who we host through. And no, you can go through just about any uh, podcast source that you want. I think the most commonly one, uh, common one used is, is Apple Podcasts, but we're on Spotify, we're on iHeartRadio, we're on Google Podcasts. Uh, I think we're even, you can even find us on like Amazon Prime Music, Audible mixture stuff, whatever that is. Uh, so you can you know go to just about any podcasting source of your choice, 
But you can also, if we're not on there, because there just seems to be so many new ones popping up consistently, uh, you can also grab our RSS feed. You can go to slave2theking.com and grab it through there, or you can link to our Podbean account itself, which also has the RSS feed. And either one of those, you can just copy it, drop it into your podcast app of choice, and listen to your heart's content. So those are ways that you can keep abreast of what we're doing. I do recommend if you go to the Slave to the King website, sign up as uh, to follow via email updates because anytime something new is posted, most of the time, Something seems to be broken with translating this over to the website, the podcast episodes themselves. I'm doing that manually. If I miss one and you guys can't find it, please let me know. I, I sometimes forget. And then I've got to reach out to both our hosting and uh, our website uh, folks to figure out why, where the disconnect is. But uh, if you run into one of those that were like, hey, I, you guys should have had an episode this week and it doesn't seem to be on the website. Hey, let me know. I'll, I'll get it up there quick as I can. Also, by the way, we have a YouTube page. Uh, if you just go to YouTube and type in Voice of Reason Radio, you can find us there. Mind you, it's not video, okay? Rich and I have faces for radio, and we try to keep it that way. But a lot of folks like to listen uh, to YouTube. You know, They'll have it streaming uh, either on their smart TV, their, their iPad, or their, their phone, or their Alexa-powered device, or whatever it is. And I think I may have just set something off. Shouldn't have said that name. And um, they'll, they'll listen via that way. So that's another way. You can go to YouTube and just look for Voice of Reason Radio. Look for the logo that has the, it's a white logo with the VOR and the kind of little radiating out uh, radio signals. We say that because we didn't know <laughs> when we started this program almost seven years ago that there were atheist organizations that tend to use the name Voice of Reason. And then most recently, I, it seems... We there's I think a, a conservative radio program called Voice of Reason Radio that we keep getting tagged in some political conservative who was on their show. So <laughs> look for the logo, you'll find it. So I greatly appreciate it. Again, it's just me this week. I appreciate your guys's time and your willingness to listen, even when it's just one of us on the air. Um, gonna spare you the updated Asbury stuff. We talked about that last week that maybe we would continue to discuss it. Um, I think there is just a certain amount of exhaustion that's come from that. And, and quite honestly, (laughs) I think we talked a lot about the issues surrounding why as Christians, that should be a concern when everybody feels that we need to, to glom onto something new like that. But the sad part about it, and the simple truth was that there were some people that were so determined to either defend something like the chosen or Asbury that they really didn't listen to what we were saying and came right at us for the very things we said were the problem. <laughs> they more or less proved our case for us. And so I don't think it's really going to do very uh, a whole lot of good really to just beat that dead horse because I think a lot of folks, number one, are, are, I think we're really tired of the discussion. I think it's really been covered in a lot of different ways. Uh, in fact, if you want to listen to a good program on what are the mar- marks of actual true revival, I really uh, recommend you check out our friends, uh, Eki Tepsapornchai and Nathaniel Jolly at uh, Truth Me On Radio. They did a great job. Not just, they're not going into the Asbury part necessarily, although it, it was part of the discussion, but what is the, the actual biblical explanation or biblical criteria for what a, 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 re, a revival would be. So if you really want to listen to that, I'll, I'll try to remember to throw that in the show notes as well. But you can always go look up Truth Be Known Radio. 
and um, on at the Christian Podcast Community, and you'll get great content. I really, really, really recommend you do that. So um, we're just we're not going to hit uh, hit you with that. Um, or was it truth be known, truth be told? They're going to hate me for this. But anyway, go over to Christian Podcast Community. You'll find the link there, and I'll throw it into uh, I'll throw it into the show notes as soon as I get done recording. And hopefully won't forget that. So <laughs> thank you guys again for your patience. So what I did want to talk about is something that blew up yesterday evening uh, on on Twitter. What happened was it was a a discussion that was shared by Gospel Coalition. Now, Gospel Coalition is... Once upon a time, I think they were a really good resource. Um, they had some really good content, really gospel-centered stuff. Over time, unfortunately, I think what happened is there was a lot of kind of, I don't want to say woke content because that's really too broad a term. I think we saw a lot of the kind of efforts to be more appeasing to the world and not sound so dogmatic, not sound so right wing, maybe. And so you began to see it drift a bit left. And as things like critical theory and now woke mentality has kind of entered into Christian circles, Gospel Coalition has kind of adopted a lot of that. So I, I, I always am very cautious at recommending anything from Gospel Coalition, not because they don't always have good content, sometimes they do, but it's a real hit and miss, probably more miss than hit. But the reason this came up is some uh, gals over on Twitter under the uh, ha under the username Steadfast Women that's Steadfast underscore Women W O M E N had shared a uh, video clip. Now the video clip uh, they made sure to explain that they themselves did not make the clip. This was a clip that was shared by Gospel Coalition from this hour long discussion with uh, with Jen Wilkin and uh, Doctor. I think John Pennington, and it was a discussion about whether or not you Christians should send their children to public schools. And Jen Wilkins spoke in the affirmative to, yes, we should. Now, the one-minute clip really started kind of a firestorm, so much so that Ms. Wilkins um, responded to some to, to pushback that she got. And I want to play you this one-minute clip talk about that for a second, and then go into the hour-long discussion. Because really, even though it's an hour long, there's about 14 minutes that are really the most important part of the discussion, and that's Miss Wilkins' defense of uh, the public school. So let me do this real quick. Let me, let me share this audio clip that Gospel Coalition themselves shared. Understand that. This was not somebody else. This was uh, not somebody who had an ax to grind with Jen Wilkin or with Gospel Coalition. It was nobody trying to misrepresent what uh, Jen Wilkin said. This was Gospel Coalition sharing a one-minute clip on their Instagram that the, the ladies over at Steadfast Women you know, made a copy of and shared because they felt it was, even though Gospel Coalition felt it was an important point to share, you know, the gals at Steadfast Women felt, mm, this is concerning. And uh, let me share this for you and then let me, uh, let me share what came out of that. So let me play this real quick. One of the things I would love to have entered into this conversation is that while I cannot tell you to put your children in public school and certainly never would because there are so many factors that are at play that it is important for us to understand that um, 
our decision regarding this and even our demeanor toward this has an impact on our community. It doesn't just impact our family. Uh, the most common phrase I hear thrown out in these conversations is, well, I just need to do what's best for my family. And I think that's something that as Christians we have to push back on. Um, Philippians tells us each of you should look not just to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And there's no such thing as a decision that's made just for our families. In fact, even having the gift of the decision at all means that you're a person with more choices than some people. And those who don't have a choice of where they will educate their children will be impacted by your presence, your adult parent presence, not being in the public schools because you've chosen to go somewhere else. One of the things... Sorry, hit the replay by accident. So I, I want to point out just what you heard in that. Miss Wilkin, in that, in that particular clip, makes a point of saying that it, we have to push back on the idea that parents who determine that what's best for their family, that that's simply by itself okay. That you know, we have to push back against that. Why? Because what she says is that these decisions are not made in a vacuum. That your uh, presence as an adult parent, your participation as an adult parent in the public school arena actually, um, how can I say this, is going to negatively impact if you're not there. There's a negative impact. And then she actually takes another, she takes it one step further and says, the even having the gift of having the option the, to, to choose to do something else is, is a, is, is a, uh, can be an issue because not everybody has that, that, that same option. You guys might, recognize that and we'll go into it a little bit but that sounds really familiar to something doesn't it something we've been hearing the last few years well you have options you have certain things available to you well that's what she's kind of pointing to and so uh, steadfast women made a point of, of sharing this they said that jen wilkins said on tgc that if a christian doesn't send their kids to public school because it's what's best for our family that other Christians need to push back and remind them that sending their kid to public school is for the greater good and use Philippians 2.4 to back it up. So I was rather surprised by the by that statement coming from someone like Jen Wilkin. Um, I know some people would say, you know, why why is um why is you know is it that you know we we should be concerned what Jen Wilkin says, you know, she's been kind of moving this direction for a while. Um you know Mind you, she is, um, you know, Jen Wilkin is an author. She's a Bible teacher. Uh, according to her Twitter page, she's an advocate for biblical literacy. She is co-host of the Knowing Faith podcast. She has her own website, jenwilkin.net, J-E-N-W-I-L-K-I-N.net. And you can learn more about her by, you know, going to that, that source and learn some more information. But this was Jen Wilkin coming on a hour-long discussion where this uh, Dr. Jonathan Pennington and a, and, she, uh, and uh, Jen Wilkin were kind of representing two sides of this discussion. Jen Wilkin gave a, about a 14-minute opening monologue that she was given her side, and then Dr. Pennington, I think Dr. Pennington said some good things, but his was maybe like five minutes, and I don't think really he could have pushed back on a lot more. 
and I think he could have been a much stronger defender of uh, Christians choosing things like homeschooling or Christian private school, charter school, something to that effect. I, I think it could have been a stronger argument, and I don't think it was. Now, the interesting thing about if you were to watch this, and I will put the link in the show notes, um, I spent an hour watching this today and sitting down and writing it down about two pages of notes with regard to things that Miss Wilkins said in that 14-minute opening statement. Now, if you watch it, number one, it's a very softball discussion. There's not, in my opinion, the the, the pastor that uh, moderated this, I don't think it was much of a, a debate. It wasn't really, it was more a sit-down chat, and it wasn't really a in-depth um, discussion. So when you get past those two opening statements, the rest of it is more uh, the moderator asking some questions, things like, hey, what, what's your current state? You know, where you say you have this number of kids. What's that about? How, 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 where are you at in life with this? Okay, well, what about, you know, he says that, you know, there's a, there's, the, the issue of being spending more time with family. Jen, how do you respond to that? And, you know, she says that, uh, you know, there's this issue with regard to being, you know, involved in the community and stuff. What do you say to that? So it was very softball. Okay, this is not, this was not a, I think Dr. White would cringe the fact that this was called good faith debates in public, public schools. There was, there wasn't a debate. <laughs> Let's just say it that way. It was a very softball discussion, as I said. However, I spent an hour listening because I wanted to see if there was anything additional to that one minute clip. And like I said, that 14 minute opening monologue really is the sum and substance of what Jen Wilkin believes about Christian's involvement in the public school uh, industry, so to speak. She genuinely believes that Christians should be involved in that. And now you heard her say she would not make it a rule, but I'm going to point out to you in this, and I'm going to go over a lot of things that she discussed give her your back uh, give you her background that she provides and and give you the things that she said about why we should be involved and why we should be putting our kids in public school even though she's claiming she would not make it a rule you know and I think that that's a good thing for anybody to say we should not create a rule where there is no rule give you my own background I am a father of two teen boys one of which is now in a local community college getting ready to try to get into culinary uh, our younger one is finishing up his senior year of homeschooling. Both have been homeschooled by my wife and myself throughout their life. Um, there are many things that we could look at and say, here's where it was good, here's where it was bad, here was, here's where it was hard, here's the financial impacts. But at the, at the core of it, our conviction, and to her credit, Jen Wilkin does say that people do make these uh, decisions often based on conviction, Um our conviction was that we wanted to be the ones who laid the foundation, not a secular school program that does not have at its core Jesus Christ and him crucified and the Christian worldview at heart. We wanted to have that uh, ability to be the ones who did it. And I think that's a very powerful reason. Uh, to his credit, Dr. Pennington, in his response, started with, why do we educate? Not how, and not, or, not or what are the benefits, but why. And it was to, as he pointed, there was a, um, and, and I would encourage you to listen to it. He basically, and I forget the Greek word, but basically said there was a, uh, a Greek ideology of education was to bring someone to truth. 
not just to, to gain skills, not just to pass tests, not to get a better job, but to bring them to the point of truth. And I think that's a great argument. Um, I think there's a really great motivation for why we teach, why we educate. So I, I applaud his response in that. I do believe he could have done a much more robust job. That just unfortunately that was not the case. At which with Gospel Coalition involved, I don't expect robust arguments. Sorry. Now let's get on to Miss Wilkins' talking points um, and what she said in that first 14 minutes, and then push back on her pushback because I think it deserves that. Um, interestingly, she received a lot of pushback for this one-minute clip, and actually responded. Um, via a Twitter thread, I'll go with that. I'll go through that after I get through the talking points. But she was not happy, I think, at some of the responses. And I think there was a little bit of. I'm 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 going to interpret it based on what I said or what I read. But I think a little bit of passive aggressiveness in the way she responded. And I'll get to that in a minute. So in her 14-minute monologue, what does she say? Well, first off, her view of education, she has a large family involvement in public school. She makes that very clear. She was educated in the public school system. She, she chose to educate all of her kids. I think she said she has like five kids that are now in adult age. Uh, her family has had teachers throughout its history. Uh, some are involved in school boards. One of her, I think her daughter is, is now a teacher. Um and as she put it, they are all in for public school. So her background is fully involved in public school. So there's no, there's no question that she, as she points, uh, pu uh, puts it, this is anecdotal for her. Okay. She, she also says that they uh, were fortunate to have access to really good schools in their area. That's also factors into how she looks at the, at this. Um, now. Why is that important? Because I think that informs how she then sees public schooling uh, as, as a whole. She and her, she stated that she and her husband view public schooling as an ideal, that it's um, they see education is good for society, that it's a mark of civilization to have an educated citizenry, right? So education as an ideal it is something that's good for society it's good for human and necessary for human flourishing as she puts it and so they see it as a right and it's something that they're that with all that in mind it, she says if you if you see it that way if you look at it that way then you should be in, uh, for quality education for everyone Th these are her statements I, i'm trying to be as as precise to her language as i can i'm really trying not to paraphrase too much um, so she then looks at education, not from necessarily the perspective of why, but for the perspective of what is it good for, which is that it's good for society. And so therefore, public education is necessary. It's a good thing. And we should be behind it because we should be wanting to see our society flourish and that it, we're becoming more civilized and more educated uh, you know, citizenry. So she explains that as, you know, as her husband and uh, she made these decisions, they saw their participation in public schooling as directly related to, quote, loving our neighbors. Okay. They, they saw a direct connection to their Christian faith and loving their neighbors as we need to be involved in the public schooling uh, arena. She makes a point of saying that she does not mandate that every Christian be engaged in public schooling. 
Okay, she, you know, she's not saying you have your your uh, your kids have to be in public school or you're not loving your neighbor. She does not say that. Okay, she does not specifically make that case. She does acknowledge that not every Christian family will make the same choice. All right, so every she, like I said, she she sees that Christian decisions regarding education are very convictional. She says, hey, I can't make it a rule that you have to public school your kids. But then she says, quote, we should try really hard to, if at all possible, end quote. So knowing that there's no rule that she can say you have to public school your kids, she is telling you, she is telling the people who listen to this video that as Christians, we should try really hard to, if at all possible, homeschool your kids. Or not homeschool school, excuse me, I just, homeschool kids is what I would argue. Um, she says to public, you know, try really hard to, if at all possible, public school our children. Now, I found that quote rather interesting because she did note that not everybody has the same situation that they had. For example, not everybody has great schools. Some people live in rural areas. There are a lot of reasons why, if at all possible, could play into it, okay? You might not be in a situation where you can send your kids to a good public school. I think that's what she's pointing at. However, we should try really hard to, if at all possible, look, if you're arguing we should try really hard to homeschool our children, we should try to really, or really try hard to, you know, Christian private school our children, if at all possible, that isn't honestly makes sense to me as an argument, but if you say we should try really hard to, if at all possible, public school our children, that's kind of the default. Most of us, as, as she, grew up as public school children. I was public schooled. Okay, grew, graduated Sparks High School 1992. And for all, all the good it does, I had a national honors diploma. Yay, whoop-dee-doo-dah. <laughs> Look where I'm at today. It's gotten me so far. Uh, but most of us were public schooled. Our parents were most likely public schooled. It is the rather default educational choice. Most people aren't going to have to try really hard to get into public school. Most people are going to say, this is where I have to go. Now, if you're talking about try really hard to get into, like say, you know, I think in Nevada, we called it a variance. Uh, if you wanted to go, you know, to high school A, but you were zoned for high school B, you might be able to get a variance if, uh, you know, if you made a certain petition and you were able to go there. So maybe trying hard to, like there are some states where education is really poor and they have a voucher system and the parents try very hard to get in a voucher system or a lottery system to get into the, the better school because the state can provide money for that. Okay, try really hard there. But the idea of try really hard to, if all possible, public school your children, I don't think is a really sound argument. I, I, I think it's, that strikes me as odd. I'm not sure why she feels that way other than well, the default Christian position would be we don't give our kids to Caesar, as Vody Balcom would argue. He's, you know, Vody Balcom says we should not send our children to Caesar and then be shocked that they come back as Romans, right? He, his argument is that at the Christian default position should really be to do something other than public school, primarily homeschool, Christian charter school, Christian private school would probably be an alternative that he would argue. So if her mindset is, and I believe this is the case, if her mindset is, we have to really try hard to 
be involved in public school rather than the alternative, now the argument makes sense. And I believe that's what she's trying to do. So as she goes on, she may, she talks about parental involvement. Now, one thing I do want to point out, and, and I know some people made that argument, and think even on a thread that I posted today, some people are somewhat misunderstanding her. Um, she's not. She is not advocating for things like missionary kids to school, right? She makes this very clear, and I, and I will give her credit for this, because so often we hear, oh, we need our kids to be salt and light. We can't pull kids out of the public school system. We're taking salt and light out. It's all going to be terrible. That's, that's not an argument. Uh, the idea of sending your kids as missionaries into the jungles of Africa, so to speak, which a lot of public schools are deep and dark just like that, um, she she agrees. You're taking people who are lacking maturity, lacking knowledge and experience, and you're throwing them into this environment and expecting them to be salt and light and to be missionaries and to change the schools and change. That's that's a, a, she rejects it, and I I do too. I think that's a ludicrous argument uh, because you are taking kids that are needing to be trained up and growing in maturity and growing in the knowledge of God, and you want to put them into the public school system. I I agree with her. That's a terrible argument. And if you're doing that, I would really discourage you from doing that. Um, she also says that, you know, you can't just take your kids into the public school system, think they're going to get their education there, take them to church on Sunday, and the church will make, uh, pick up the, the slack, so to speak. She argues that parents have to be directly involved. So I, I applaud that point, okay? She... That is not something um, I have often heard from people who are arguing that we need to have Christian kids in public school. Um, there does seem to be a, a, a malaise of sorts, and I, and I want to say that carefully because I'm not trying to sl uh, be broad brushing, but there does seem to be a malaise. We've seen it in, um, you know, if you look at things like Answers in Genesis, already gone uh, study that they did and read their book, it studies people who were raised with relatively conservative Christian values, but are gone by the time they hit college. And one of the things that they argue about is, you know, they would get a, a, an hour of week of Sunday school where they got Christian stories and then five days a week of public secular public education, which was basically destroying that. So the idea that we can, there does seem to be that kind of broad across the spectrum in various ways and again, I want to be careful. I'm not trying to malign anybody, but there does seem to be a bit of a malaise there. So I appreciate that she says the parents have to be directly involved. She and her husband, she talks about how much time they would spend talking to their kids about the th you know various issues. Okay, so for her, you know, part you know, public school participation meant the kid kids would have broad exposure to all kinds of people, and they, because of the, the their involvement in this secular system, which was this pluralistic system, which she acknowledges is what it is, that she knew they were going to ha have to have all kinds of conversations very early on about, about difficult and controversial topics with their kids. So being in that environment, they're going to have this broad exposure to these, these uh, classes of people and different beliefs and, you know, different, you know, uh, ethnic backgrounds, etc. She actually says that was a good thing because it would then humanize the conversations. It was no longer just categories that this became an embodied truth. Again, not just a mere category of a topic we're talking about. This is a person that's in the classroom with them, and they're, these are the things that they believe. These are the things that they're saying and doing. And now we're talking about that, and this person, their children recognize, hey, this is what I'm seeing going on. 
So it was a type of socialization argument that we often hear, hey, you know, if you homeschool your kids, you're not going to have proper socialization. It was a form of, of that argument, to be honest, um, that you know that she felt that they needed that broad spectrum. I, I think there's a problem with that argument. Um, when you spend five days a week amongst secular people who, like yourself, are growing and maturing and don't know everything there is to, yet to know, and you become enmeshed emotionally, whether it's friends or boyfriend-girlfriend or some other kinds of relationships... Because of that, there's a great chance for a, a, of influence that you now have to kind of combat against. And so I think when we're, where Miss Wilkin would look at it and go, this made those conversations more robust and made it uh, better for us to work through, I, I would argue you're having to fight against secularized education, which really doesn't have Christianity in mind. And on top of that, you have secularized kids of the same age influence. So you've got two sources of influence plus a whole host of other issues. And now you have to untangle that every night when they come home. Um, if you want to make that that effort, I, you're welcome to do so. But I think to argue it as though this is a, entirely a positive, which how it, she f was presenting it for them, it was entirely positive. But I think that's that's hugely problematic because she, it's like you're not acknowledging those problems, those influences, and she certainly did not acknowledge them as problems, problem, uh, problematic influences. Um, she also argued that when parents are making this choice to not to opt out of the public school environment, uh, she said that sometimes it's because of misinformation or fear mongering. Uh, and she basically gives this discussion about how there are, you know, people don't often know exactly what's being taught in their own uh, public school uh, curriculum in their own districts. They hear something on the internet, they see a news article, they they figure it's all about that. Uh, all the schools are doing that. There is some truth to that, but at the same time, there are people that have actually been bothering to look into this and know a little bit more. And to label that as simply misinformation or fear mongering. Um, maybe she's not trying, maybe she's not trying to be broad brushed, but I, I, I think she's doing the exact opposite. She's doing to the people who are concerned about public schooling. She's doing to them what she thinks they're doing to the public schools, which is, um, fear mongering, broad brushing. And, and she's saying, you you don't know enough. You need to spend more time being dug in and learning. There's some truth to what she says, but I think at the same time, just because you haven't gone to every school board meeting and, and talk to every teacher doesn't mean that there isn't reason to be concerned about what the trends that we are seeing in the public schools, especially when there are a lot of videos of teachers who are angry that they're not allowed to t teach leftist stuff anymore or, you know, uh, who openly lie on their, t you know, on their TikTok videos or uh, YouTube videos or on their social media uh, platforms who openly admit lying to parents. I, I think to say that that's simply misinformation or fear mongering um, or that it's coming from hearsay and, and somehow fear is being leveraged, which is language that she used. I think that's not fair to people who are actually looking at this and actually spending time researching these things, researching the history of public education, researching the the trends in curriculum and the things that uh, the teaching colleges and stuff put out, who have talked to families who have gone. 
uh, through the public school system and who remember public schooling themselves, I think that's being a little bit, I don't want to say disingenuous, but I don't think it's being fair. So she does say that there, uh, that we do need to be more uh, in, in, better informed and we need to be cautious about vilifying and, and not maligning teachers. And I think that's true. I think we, we need to be cautious about any time we, we, we not broad brush everything. So with all that in mind, she begins to argue that this is where we get into that one minute clip, that when parents are making this decision to... To, to whether to be involved in the public school system or not, that's where we've now got this this issue with how it impacts the community. Remember, she believes that education is an ideal, that it's a right, that it's necessary for human flourishing, that it's good for society, and it's a mark of civilization to have an educated citizenry. So we need to be all about a a, a quality education for everyone. These are her statements at the beginning, you know, at the very beginning. So. When, when she's arguing that you, when you go to make a decision about whether to be engaged in public schooling, that your decision and your demeanor, now demeanor, I always, I always find that interesting because we've heard this in recent history, haven't we? The whole argument of, well, you, you need, you're being too right wing. You're being too conservative. You need to be more neutral which really means be more to the left and, and really pound down on the right most times. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that Jen Wilkin is saying this, but that's an argument we've often heard, that if you take too strong a stance, that your demeanor is wrong and you're pushing people away from Jesus. And I think there's a certain amount that she's leaning toward in that because she says our decision and even our demeanor I don't think a whole lot of people who have chosen homeschooling have done so so they can shake their fist at the public school system and go, ha, I got you. I'm not letting my kids go in there. You ter Some do, but <laughs> I'm not going to say not all of us. But I think the genuine reason for most people going in is that they are concerned that the foundations laid by the public school system for their children, whom they want to raise to be believers in Jesus Christ and want to live as Christians and to... to you know, be obedient to God and do the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. If you're telling them their demeanor is negatively impacting the community, I, I think that's a really bad argument. Okay. It just doesn't, unless you can point me to people who are actually just being vile. And I know there some are, I think most parents who are trying to weigh this decision out are doing so with what they think is best for their family. And how, how is it best going to align with my faith? I certainly, you know, I, I, I think she does say, look, on both sides, we have to watch our, our tone toward one another. She does acknowledge that. Uh, she does believe that there are people who are extreme on her on the public school side of things, as well as people who are on the uh, non-public schooling. So, I, I, again, I give her credit. I'm trying to be fair in this. If you guys feel like I'm waffling, I'm really not trying not to. I'm, right, I'm really trying to be fair in my representation of how she's uh, addressed this, because then we get to how she links it to scriptural uh, beliefs and scriptural, scriptural passages. And that's where I think this really goes off the rails. Um, so she argues that our decision to not public school in, can impact the community and that we can't just argue, well, it's, I'm doing what's best for my family because in her own words, there's no such thing as what's best for my family. Our decisions are not made in a vacuum. Every, every decision we make always impacts someone. 
And there's truth in that. You know, there, there's very little decisions that you make that won't impact someone else. But in her mind, there has to be an additional lens added to this. You can't just simply say, well, it's got to be what's best for my family. Why? Because now there's an additional lens, an additional factor you have to bring in is, now, is, what, is this what's best for my community? Is this what's best for people uh, who are in the public school system? And this where is where her argument from uh, Philippians 2.4 comes into play, where she says, you know, Philippians tells us we're not to not uh, look only to our own interests, but to the in interest of others. Now, I'll get to that in a minute, but that is, I do believe, a genuinely bad misapplication of that passage. And she's arguing that, a, the, uh, that there is a biblical reason that when you choose to not homeschool your or not public school your child, that you choose to homeschool or some other alternative, then you are looking out for who your own interests. Now, I'm going to get to her Twitter thread in a minute. A lot of people pointed out to her, and she acknowledges this is true, that we're look not looking out for simply our own interests. We're looking out for the neighbors we love the most, which is our children. Remember, she says this is about loving our neighbor, right? She said it at the beginning. Well, our children are our closest neighbors. And so we're considering their own interest, right? So she elevates, in my opinion, based on what I'm listening to, the interests of the community to the same level as the interest of my children. So you now have to now weigh as an additional and maybe almost identical level of measure, the interests of your community and the city in which you live. That's hugely problematic. Because now your concern for your children and what's best for them is now has to be weighed against people that may or may not have the same ability, may have simply chosen to put their kids in public school and not be engaged as much as she and her husband were, you now have to weigh uh, what's best for your children against other persons who, for various reasons, maybe just can't do uh, private education or homeschooling. You now have to weigh that against them. I, I, I think that's a very unfair and un, uh, an unfair burden. Let me put it that way. It's an unfair burden to place on parents because you are now making other people outside of your immediate neighbors, your children, as equally as important as the children that God has given you. Okay, so we'll get into the passage in a minute, but that's not a fair uh, measure to put on someone. And it's a misuse of the Bible to, and I believe, a way to guilt people into now considering this. Um she goes on to say that, uh, you know, the fact that we, you know, that you may be in a position to choose such as something as homeschooling or public schooling means you have a choice that others don't have. Remember when I said before that that sounds awfully familiar? Remember all the arguments of white privilege? You have privileges that other ethnic groups have not had. You've had benefits the other groups have not had. Therefore, you must this, that, or the other thing, so that they can be elevated and brought to the same level. Okay, That is a very critical theory argument. I, I'm sorry, I don't know if she meant to do that. I'm not going to 
question our motivations, but I think there is a huge privilege argument in there that's saying you don't have, you might be able to be in a position to make these choices, but someone else doesn't. And if you take advantage of that opportunity, you're disadvantaging someone else. And I believe that's an actual representation of her argument, that you are disadvantaging someone else by you not being present in the system as an adult parent. And again, this is not a Christian argument. This is a secular argument. And one of the, that's why I'm working through this statement with you. I want you to go listen to it yourself. I will put the TGC video link in the notes. Go listen to it. I, you can listen to the entire hour if you like, but I honestly believe that, you know, listen to about the first 20 minutes, which is hers and then uh, the, the other individual, um, Dr. Pennington, you'll get the, you'll get the full crux of the argument that the, the, that the two have. And so in doing that, I think you're going to see what I'm trying to work you through here. She's making very secular arguments with attachments to biblical uh, passages to try and make those secular arguments Christian. This is this is what I'm hearing her say. This is why it's massively problematic, and I think she's just dead wrong. She's dead wrong for the way she's presenting this. And I, I, I'll explain maybe at the end a way I think someone could argue this and and not make the mistakes that she's making. But the reason I'm bringing this up is, as Christians, as we are bringing up our children, I mean, my 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 two young men now are, are nearly out of this experience, but some of you are bringing kids in. And I think you now have to hear arguments. You're looking for material. You're looking for discussions about public schooling, private schooling, homeschooling. And you, you're going to come across videos like this. And I want you to understand, I believe Jen Wilkin genuinely probably believes everything she's saying. I don't necessarily think she's trying to manipulate people, but she is by her arguments. I, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm trying to be careful how I say this. I believe that she is trying to make, as in any debate would, make a positive presentation about why you should do something but what she's doing are not, I would argue, not biblical arguments for a Christian. They are secular arguments that are tied, you know, are, are burdening Christians by tying Scripture to them, and that is manipulative in itself because you're trying to push them in a certain direction, but you're not trying to convince them biblically. You're trying to convince them secularly. And that, I think, is a misuse of Scripture. That is a misuse of the Christian worldview. That is that is a misuse of this kind of argumentation. And, and again, I believe she genu you know, she genuinely believes this was a great path. She had uh, access to great schools. She had access to, uh, the, to knowing what the curriculum was, how to address it, how to respond, how to help their kids. She actually made choices like, hey, we're not going to have a mountain of extracurricular activities. You can have one or none. That was one, one thing that she said in, in her argument. She, she went to a lot of effort she and her husband went to a lot of effort to be directly involved. So I applaud that. I think those if you're going to be in, in a public school environment, I think what Jen Wilkins did with her children, good idea. But to then say, so therefore, since education was good for us, uh, public education was good for us, we've had really good uh, experience with public education. We think publication, public education is a social good. And so therefore, since a social good benefits the uh, people who have less opportunities, we as Christians need to be involved. I think that's a bad argument because you're now putting a burden for other people 
on the Christian that Scripture itself does not require. And we'll get into that in just a second. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so, she says that if you're choosing to not be a part of that public school environment, you're likely hurting others because your adult presence is not there. You're not involved. You're not directly engaged. And that is is harmful to these people who don't have the same option as you because they need that as well. And, and you're not helping this system flourish and grow and be better. So, yes, you can choose to not have your, your kids there, but she still believes the, the system needs our buy-in. And that's where she kind of really pushes this from the community aspect of the decision. Um, she's not, again, she's not mandating you put your kids in there for the sake of the community. And that, in her thread, she, she actually addresses that. You're, you're right. She's right. She did not address this from, well, you have to put your kids in for the community's sake. She's not making that mandate, but she is arguing that because the community is negatively impacted by you and your kids not being there, something else has to something else has to happen. And so she then argues for if you're going to do if you're going to not have your kids in there, you yourself need to find some way to do this. You need to put uh, to support this system. And I'm, I'm gonna I got my written notes here, so you can bear with me for just a second. She makes a, <clears throat> she says, you as a person who cares for the, uh, she, you know, she says, as a person who cares for the widow and the orphan and cares for the fatherless, we need to have a giving presence in that space. We need to find a way to support teachers and administrators, and we need to volunteer to, quote, bring life into a system that does serve the least and the last. So what she's really then saying is, okay, you have the choice to not public school your kids, but this system is so vital, you got to find a way to support it. So remember what she said, there's no what's best for my family. Why? Because your decision isn't made in a vacuum. It impacts others. If you're not engaged in the, in the public school system with your kids and your presence there, it detracts from that system, that citizen, that system benefits others. So you need to find a way to get back involved in some, in some way to promote the public school system that serves, as she puts, the least and the last. So Jen Wilkin doesn't require and doesn't make it a mandate and says, yes, there's a multitude of reasons why you might not choose public education. But then she pushes it back and says, we need to push back and say, <clears throat> by not engaging in the public education system, we're depriving people. You now are required through your love of neighbor for someone who wants to help the widow and the fatherless, from someone who wants to help the least and the last. These are Christ This is Christian language. This is biblical language. And again, I'll get into that in a second. That you have to have some kind of buy-in. You have to be involved directly, even if it's involved in the school board, if it's involved in volunteering at schools, some way to support the school system, because that serves others, even if you don't want to. And I would say she's almost implying selfishly not being a part of it yourself. Okay, maybe she would disagree with me, but I think there's an implication that when you say, hey, you not being involved and you're not helping these people who are the least and the last, you are making a selfish choice. Excuse me, I had to take a sip of water there. I think that's by the implication. And that's why I believe she's creating an undue 
burden. I don't think that's right. I think that's that's where she's definitely, in my opinion, being very manipulative. So she's creating this undue burden, this unbiblical burden for parents making choices for the 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 young boys and girls in their lives that God has actually given multitude of verses in in scripture about how we take care of them how we are to teach them when they when they when they rise up when they lie down when they when they're walking about when they're sitting this over and over again that we are to raise them in the fear and an admonition of the Lord that we are to teach them to to honor their father and mothers that we themselves uh, fathers we're not to to uh you know to create uh, anger in our own children, right? We're not, we're not to you know, provoke them to wrath, I think is how scripture puts it. So there's, there's passage after passage where you as the parent have a direct requirement to be involved in the lives of your children and you teach them and you grow them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But what Jen Wilkin would say is, Yes, do all that. That is absolutely necessary. This Here's all this examples of direct involvement that my husband and I were involved in. So she would echo that, but then she would elevate another cho- another lens, as she would put it, that you have to also consider the impact to the community and the city that you live in, that you have to be concerned about the welfare of the city that you live in by not being part of this public school system. Um, I think that's that is just so much burden to put on someone, and I don't believe it has biblical warrant. I think she is using the Bible wrongly. So how can I say that? Well, let's let's look at what she talks about. She says that this, you know, for her and her husband, that this ha- their involvement in the public school system was directly tied to loving their neighbor. Well, let me give you a couple of passages. First, Mark. Uh, you know, in Mark twelve twenty eight through twenty four, Jesus is speaking to a scribe. And who is, uh, you know, there's a discussion about what is the greatest commandment. And Jesus says, the first is, quote, love the Lord, uh, love your, excuse me, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and all your uh, mind. Uh, and uh, I got I'm getting ahead of myself. Love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind and all your strength. And that the second greatest is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I want to tell you, before I started recording this, my wife told me, Chris, slow down. And I didn't. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so the two greatest commandments, love the Lord, love God, love your neighbor. These, these are the two greatest commandments. And the scribe says, you know, you've answered, you know, this, this is true, right? What is God, Christ doing in that? What is he saying about loving our neighbor? What is he saying about loving God? Well, they they rep- they are representative of the two tables of God's law. You know, the first four are how we honor God. The last six are how we lo- love our neighbors. So, in the uh, in the first four, you were we're told to worship God alone. We're to not take His name in vain. We're not to make any idols. You know, we're to uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy because that's the day on which he rested. And then on the second table are how we interact with others. And so loving our neighbors means to honor our parents, which who would be our our closest neighbors. If you're you're a child, if you're, uh, you know, even as an adult, you still have a commandment to honor your mother and father, even though you are no longer cleaved to them. You have left them and you've cleaved to your spouse. You have, you are still to honor them, again, your closest neighbors for most of your life. 
You're not, we're not to murder people. We're not to murder our neighbors. We're not to commit adultery with our neighbors. We're not to steal from them. We're not to lie about them. We're not to covet their possessions. Everything in there is about honoring and not seeking harm. We respect and not seek the harm of others. So Christ, when he says the two tables of the law, love God and love your neighbor, our first, most important is to our relationship with God himself which is through Jesus Christ. Because we can't keep, by the way, we can't keep any of the law apart from Christ. The law is the schoolmaster, is the guardian which leads us to Christ. And when we're in Christ, we're no longer under the law in the sense that we have to maintain the law to earn merit, because we never could. But now in Christ, we can honor God. We can you know, love him the way the commandments call for us to because our love is not something that was generated by ourselves, but it's it's a love that comes through Jesus Christ, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who has changed us. You know, go back and listen to our last couple episodes. You'll, we've, we've talked about this. Your obedience is a an effect, is part of that new creation, that new heart. So you have this, you have this right relationship with God, and then it extends horizontally to how you love others, which is by and large showing respect and not seeking their harm. So when she says love your neighbor, because that's what Christ commanded, she's taking it beyond what Christ said. Now, in another uh, section of scripture, in Luke uh, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, Jesus expounds on that love of neighbor in where, where he gives the par- parable of the good Samaritan. Because, you know, the lawyer who asked him how to attain eternal life, he, he says, you know, uh, you know, goes through those two tables again, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer says, well, who's my neighbor? The scriptures tell us that he's doing that because he wants to justify himself. He has an issue with, well, there are certain people he doesn't want to love, is basically what it's getting down to. So Christ gives him the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is a Jewish man walking along the road, on, on uh, traveling from city to city, is attacked, set upon by robbers, beaten and left for dead. Two Jewish men, you know, a priest and a, uh, and a rabbi, walk by him. They, they, they make no notice of him. Why? Well, Jewish law, if you were to touch somebody who was bleeding, who had bodily fluids, uh, you could be made unclean. And so, in its strict adherence to the traditions and the law, they did not render aid. But along comes a Samaritan who, has no, who have no dealings with Jews. Along comes a Samaritan... Who does what? Stops and renders aid, takes binds his wounds, takes him to an inn, and says, here's money to care for him, and if there's more to be done, I will pay you when I return. What did he do? He met the man's immediate needs. So not only do we have in our love for neighbor to respect and then to not seek harm, but then we're to actually go above and beyond that to where we are able to, even at sometimes a cost of our... Uh, uh, to our own detriment and cost, we are to meet the needs of others. Now, Jen Wilkin would argue that, well, by being involved in the public school system to some extent, you are meeting the needs of others. But I believe she is extending it beyond what Christ said here. What we're seeing here is the immediate needs. To take, to maybe extend her argument if, I, if my argument is to love my neighbor is to raise my children and educate them in a, out, outside the public school system, 
And Jen says, no, you got to take it one step further. You need to meet the needs of others in your community by somehow supporting the public school system. That's like saying the Samaritan didn't just have the duty to care for the, uh, the Jewish man who had been left for dead, but now he needed to, all the people that walk that road who could be beset upon by robbers, he needed to do something to make that, ro that road safe. You see the problem? Christ doesn't command us to extend out to this infinite you know, um, advancement of caring for everybody in the most broad manner possible. Christ didn't tell the, you know, the lawyer, therefore the Samaritan was to care for everybody who came along that road. He had been given someone in his immediate vicinity who needed care, and he, was, and he did so, where others who should have stopped, who should have rendered aid, who were of his own, own family, so to speak, because they were, you know, they were Jews as well, who actually would have understood the law and the need to care, you know, the, to care for the, the, the poor and needy, who would have recognized a man in need should have been cared for, a man who had no uh, reason to do so did. He showed the love, and the lawyer admits this. But there's no further extension beyond that to say, now all everybody who traveled that road, this man is now responsible for caring for all of them. It's meeting the immediate needs of those in our in the circle that God provides for us to, to be involved with. Jen is extending it beyond what I believe the, the, the biblical, you know, the, the biblical parameters of what that passage says. She's trying to say, well, this is loving your neighbor. Well, we heard that over the last two years, didn't we? Well, if you love your neighbor, you won't leave your house. If you love your neighbor, you'll shut down your church. If you love your neighbor, you'll wear a mask. If you love your neighbor, you'll stand six feet apart. If you love your neighbor, you'll get the jab. For two years, we were told as Christians that we had to potentially put ourselves at great disadvantage for the possibility of preventing some sort of negative impact. For two years, we were told this, only to find out that many of those things really had no real basis in truth, and they were very manipulative, and sadly, many people still hold to them, but we are finding out more and more that most of those things had no basis in truth. And yet Christians were told, if you love your neighbor, you will go this far, which is not what the scriptures indicate in this passage. She talks about Philippians 2.4, where we are to look not, uh, you know, where Paul writes the Philippians and says, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, in this passage, in chapter 2, Paul is writing to the Philippian church about conforming itself to the example of Christ's humility when he came to the earth. See, Christ, when he took on humanity, left the throne of heaven. He willingly humbled himself, and he became a ser as a servant of his father. He didn't insist on his right to remain in heaven. He didn't, uh, he didn't say, I don't have to do this. He did this out of humility and his love for his father and love for those whom he would redeem. And he did so, so in obedience to the father, even to the point of death. He put the needs of others above his station, so to speak. He, rather than just the interest of himself as God the Son, he came down, took on humanity, lived the life of perfection that we can't live, and then went to the cross so that our price could be paid. 
That's the type of humility and the type of sacrifice that Christ made that they are being called to emulate. So not just looking to the interest of themselves, but looking to the interests of others. The Philippians are being called to have this same mind of Christ, to have that same humility, that same obedience, that same love. This is what they're being called to. But the interesting part about this is there's nothing in the passage that calls Christians to sacrifice themselves for the good of a city or a community. Rather, in taking on Christ's likeness, they are called to live a life of humble servitude to God. Going back to the love of neighbor, God has given us places and people in which we will impact, but there is no command by which putting the interests of others means you broaden it to its furthest reaches and say, well, if it's going to benefit the city, as she argues, we have to, argue, we have to look out for the welfare of our city, that is beyond what the scriptures are being called to. Certainly Christians in their lives you know, are to sacrifice, and, and, and sacrificing for your children that was a sacrifice for us. I'll, I'll do my anecdotal thing. I, I'm a single-income uh, you know, husband. My wife doesn't work. We, we've homeschooled the whole way, and there was a whole lot of sacrifice, including a period of time where my wife fought with cancer and still homeschooled. Now, we had great concern and care for fellow Christians in our lives who helped us through that period of time. They did exactly that. They looked not to the interests of others, but to, or to them, of themselves, but to others. In this case, us. We've looked not to the interests of ourselves, but to our children. We've looked not to the interests of ourselves, but other family members, other members of our church, other members even in the community. We've had neighbors that we've helped on various occasions for a variety of ways. There is nothing that commands me to now take that extended to the furthest reaches of the city. Jen Wilkin is taking that command to look not to only uh, to the interests of yourself but to others and saying, no, no, it's not just your children. You now have to add this other lens. What about the city? What about the others in the city? What about the community? She's adding a lens that is uncalled for in this passage. Christ is, you know, we've been called to model our lives after Christ in obedience to Father and do the works that he has set beforehand. And this is all for, the, for his good pleasure. We're indeed called to do work and be, that benefits uh, not only others or not only ourselves but others. But there's nothing in the passage or any other passage that she's referring to that indicates that we as Christians are to sacrifice our families or their education of the education of our children at the altar of benefiting the rest of the educational community. There's simply no cause to extend it beyond that, other than to say I've brought this preconceived ideology in that education is good for society. Therefore, Christians now must also sacrifice not only for their children, but sacrifice for the good of the community. And I think that's a misuse and it's wrong. Um, you know, now, here's the thing. If you as a Christian, as a family, want to make that kind of a choice, there's nothing that prohibits you. You can certainly do that. If you want to uh, to consider what she says and do that out of your own you know discussion in the family in discussion with your your pastor in your church in discussion and in prayer and in study of scriptures you are compelled because God has laid this on your heart to be a part of the public school system I'm going to argue you have that freedom but to then apply it as a passage it's almost a commandment that our educational choices must include impact community is it's just beyond it's it's stretching the rub, the rubber band to breaking point in my opinion 
sociopolitical issues such as public education are not in view in this passage. And Wilkin is importing this in because she already has the view that publication... Ugh, I'm doing it again. I'm getting ahead of myself. Public education she sees as a social good. And she puts this burden on the Christian family with something that is her preference and her personal belief, but you, she cannot support with Scripture. Um, one last thing. She talks about caring for the widow and the orphan and the fatherless. James 1.27 tells us that religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Similarly, in Matthew 25.31-40, Jesus talks about those who will enter into glory and will be rewarded for what? Feeding people, giving drink to those who are thirsty. He says, you fed me when I was hungry. You gave me drink when I was thirsty. You welcomed me. You clothed me when I was naked. And you visited me when I was in sick or I was in prison. And they ask, when did we do any of that, Jesus? And he says, when you did it to the least of these. So in other words, providing for those immediate needs as Christians, as he has compelled us to do, in our love for neighbor, when we do that, we are demonstrating our love for God, first table, and love for others, second table. So she's saying that, you know, we need to look at this as people who care about the widow, the orphan, and the fatherless, to care about those who are least and last because the public education system benefits them. And if we pull out, we, we hurt that system. In every one of these, in, in, uh, in these type of situations, in James's, you know, a description of pure religion, in Christ talking about those who demonstrated that they were his through their Christ-like love, what did he talk about? Helping for the immediate needs. You visited widows and orphans in their affliction. Those who have an immediate need, you're there. Those who are hungry and thirsty and without the things uh, that prov you know, provide for their lives, you are there. Directly involved with specific people. Loving your neighbor in the manner that we see going back all the way up to you know, the, uh, you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Meeting the immediate needs. You're definitely, absolutely showing love. And can you be loving to say, you know what, we want to help our community in some way, and so we're going to sacrifice in some manner, and maybe it's public education, maybe it's some other philanthropic involvement, maybe it's some other charity, maybe it's something you're doing through the church to help the community, maybe you're going out and getting food and clothing to the poor. Yes, absolutely. All of those things are a demonstration of love, but to then connect caring for the widow, the orphan, and the fatherless because the to, to the point of saying the public education system, that serves the least and the last, so therefore you must sacrifice. Therefore, you must be involved. That is extending it beyond what the Scripture tells you as Christians. That's the problem. I, I genuinely believe that Jen Wilkin really believes that one of the best ways for Christians to be involved in the, in the education of our children is to be part of a good public school education system. And that if Christians are genuinely involved and, and pouring themselves into it, it'll get better. I think she really believes that. I, I don't think she's going like leftist Marxist think. And I, I don't think she's trying to say your kids belong to the state. I, I, I honestly think that. And, I, and here's why. Let me quickly go over what she said uh, on her thread. Um, 
She said that, you know, I'll read this to you very quickly as we wrap up here. Uh, Ms. Wilkins says, it seems my recent remarks on public school are being misrepresented, so I'd like to clarify. This is where I think she gets a little passive-aggressive. Ms. Wilkins, do better. And she says, I get it. It was an hour-long debate, and in an age of short attention span, clips and tweets uh, can too easily obscure the flow of a longer argument. Um, 14 minutes, any of us can do. And 14 minutes, I sat down and wrote down a bunch of notes, and I don't think I misunderstood anything she said. And I think that one-minute clip is in context of that 14 minutes. You can watch the entire hour. Like I said, the remaining... Mm, let's see, it's 55 minutes. I think the first 20 minutes were really the opening remarks that made the biggest uh, arguments. So, therefore, 35 minutes of softball questions, I don't think change it context in any way. So, she, she says, uh, so, it can easily obscure the flow of a longer argument. So, here we go. One, I did not say Christians should send their kids to, uh, to public school to love their neighbor. This is a mischaracterization of my argument. Yes and no. I, I think she is correct. She did not say you have to send your kids to public school to love your neighbor. Um, she did say, and, and she goes, but I, I would also say no, that the rest of her argument implies that you have to be doing something to love your, to love your, uh, to show love for neighbor. Uh, she goes on to say, I did say what's best for my family is only one lens for families who have a choice in education. I don't believe that's how she fr phrased it. You guys heard the one minute argument. She said, um, there is no such thing as what's best for my family. Okay, so she didn't refer to it as one lens. She actually said, "No, there's no such thing as just that lens. That uh, that what's best for my family. It's not a. It's not done in a vacuum." Two, I suggested considering an additional lens. No, she did not. <laughs> she she actually said that you have to consider, but you know we'll we'll move forward. I I, I suggested considering an additional lens. The impact with of the impact withdrawing from public schools has on our communities, particularly on families without a choice in edu education. I did not say that love of neighbor means we must choose public school. She did, however, imply and infer that if you don't cho choose public school, you yourself have to be engaged in supporting the public school system. Three, I did say that it's good for the community, for those who opt out of public school, to find ways to support the program through mentoring programs, supply drives, service projects, attendance at board meetings, etc. Again, she didn't just say it as a suggestion. She basically said, you need to find ways to do this. Uh, four, I did not, I did say not all public school districts are equal by any means and learn and to learn firsthand what yours is actually teaching versus what versus listening to hearsay. She did say that. I agree. Uh, I did not say our kids should be missionaries. I explicitly said the opposite twice. Yes, that is true. She did. She did not say that. I give her total credit for that. Number five, I do recognize our children are our first neighbors. I've written an article by that title. It's, it is possible to recognize this and also recognize our neighbor next door. There's a difference between recognize our neighbor next door and assuming that everyone in the city is your neighbor next door, Ms. Wilkin. You actually implied that you know everyone who is not having that option is impacted by my decision to not public school and not be engaged in the public school system and that... I have to consider loving my neighbor as equal to um, loving my children. I think that's very problematic. Number six, I do not think every family, family with a choice in education has to arrive at said educational choice. I said this, said this explicitly more than once. I agree she did. Number seven, 
to, to some, my call to those with a choice in education is do your homework on your own district. Stay if you can, but if you can't, be an active source of blessing to teachers, administrators, and students who are in your local schools. Again, this is where I believe this is absolutely problematic. She is using biblical language to say that to love your neighbor, to, to, to minister to the widow and the, and the orphan, to care for the least and last, is you must be involved with that. Now, she phrases it in such a way that it's not a direct command, but you walk away from that believing that, man, if I don't, I, I somehow I'm not loving my neighbor. And I think that's, that's manipulative. I don't think that's fair. I think it's an undue burden. It shouldn't be done. Eight, to resist and resist the urge to vilify your neighbors who say things differently than you do. She did say that. Nine, that's it. And if you read, if you read opinions or interpretations that my thoughts are more than this or different than this, don't buy it. And 10, there's the entire debate for your watching. Um, she said, uh, she goes on to say, you don't have to rely on or amplify someone else's potentially bad faith interpretation or of a good faith debate. And disagreement doesn't have to mean denigration. Let's do better. And well, I'm going to argue against that, Miss Wilkin. I, I think you have denigrated many people by saying that by pulling out and not being directly involved, that they are not showing love to their neighbor, or at least making that implication. Um, certainly throughout the course of her, of the discussion, she does say, I'm not, I can't make this a rule, but she starts off by telling you, we, we should try really hard to, and that if we don't, as she says here, you need to be involved in the public school system in some fashion. And I think that's unfair burden to put on people. So that's what she tried to do to kind of dispel. I, I, I like, I told other people in response to this, when I made a post about it today, Everything she says in that is bullet point accurate. However, when you listen to the 14-minute clip, I think what you'll find is she is very... What she says here in bullet point form is not the same as how she argued it in this quote-unquote debate. I think she was a bit more emphatic. I don't think she was being harsh. I don't think she was being condemnatory. But I think what she did is at the end, she's putting a burden on you that you have to do this. If you don't, you're not caring for the welfare of the city in which you live. So that implication runs a serious risk because then it implies that there's some. it's somehow sinful to do otherwise. Why do I say that? If loving my neighbor, if doing for the least and last, if you know, uh, the way I minister to the widow and orphan is to find a way to prop up this public school system. If I don't, what is then there, the clear implication that I have failed to love my neighbor? And if I fail to love my neighbor, which is the second greatest commandment, what am I doing? I'm sinning. Now, I don't believe that Jen Wilkin would claim that not being engaged is a sin. But if you laden your argument with biblical language that extends those passages beyond their intended meaning and beyond, I think, a reasonable application. You've made an implication that people now have to live with. If I don't do this, if I'm not loving my neighbor, what am I now doing? Well, I'm not obeying the second greatest commandment. I think you have to you have to contend with that, Miss Wilkin. You have to contend with it. You've drawn a conclusion for people. Without even having to say it, you've drawn the conclusion. If, if, you've, if it's about loving your neighbor to do this, to be involved in some way in propping up what you believe is an institution for public good, if they are not involved, they are not loving their neighbor. That is an implication that you've made. Intended or not, that's the implication you're making. 
Christians are called to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, like I said. Commandment is throughout scripture to do so. But there are no commandments that call us to care for the educational needs of a community. There's no commandment for that. You have to do, as Miss Wilkin did, extend those passages beyond their intended meaning to make that connection. And that's wrong. That's just not correct to do. If she wanted... Now, what could she have done? I said earlier, I would say, here's a way you could do it. If she wanted to suggest that Christian liberty and charity allows us not only to determine the best means of education our children, but then to also, as Scripture teaches us to do, proper application of Scripture teaches us to do, as the Holy Spirit lays upon our heart to do, as the opportunities the Lord presents us to do, to get involved in some capacity. And that that would be a great thing for Christians to do. You know, to say, I think, you know, well, well, I, I, I am very much all in for public school, uh, and, I, and I think that that's a better path for Christians because I think the education system needs Christian involvement. And so therefore, I would encourage Christians to consider this. I don't think I have an ar- a problem with that argument. I wouldn't. And I, I, I would be willing to bet that if we sat down face to face, she may even say that that's what she was trying to convey. But that's not what she said. We have to deal with what she said. She made secular arguments and attached to them biblical commands that deal with loving our neighbor and then made a connection between them. Christians are commanded to start first with our families to model Christ and move outward. Okay, our, our, Your first commandment, father, mother, is the raising your child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Husbands have commandments to love their wives. Wives have commandments to love uh, Submit to their husbands. All of this is a model of the church and the relationship that it has with Christ. That's that that family relationship is a picture of God and His church. That is where our first ministry is, and we work outward. But to take the most outer ring, like the city, the community, and then kind of lift that up and say, well, you also have to consider this because that's loving your neighbor. It's flipping that order or it's elevating something that God has not called us to do to a higher place. It's a place of Christian liberty. It's a place where Christians can show love and care and, and, and it means to be charitable and kind and gracious. But it lifts it up to almost an area of command because, well, if you're not doing this, you're not helping those who can't make the same choice that you're privileged enough to make. I believe Jen Wilkin is being very well-intentioned. I think she's a little upset that she she feels that she's been misrepresented. Um, And like I say, I think there's some passive aggressiveness in that particular tweet thread. However, Twitter is Twitter, and sometimes it's easier to read tone into something that isn't there. Uh, So I've got to be willing to say that. But I, I, I went through this. I spent an hour and 20 minutes going through this for a reason. Christians have a command to raise our families in the fear and admonition of the Lord, to love Christ and to love others. And how we love others, Scripture gives us a lot of indication on on how we do that. It is not right or fair 
to take a secular argument, a secular view of love, and import it into scripture, and then tell a parent, you now have to make your decision with that as a consideration. I don't agree that she says she addressed, addressed it as an additional lens. I believe she elevated it to being almost equal with the decision you make for your children. And I don't think that was right. I think it was an undue burden. It was an unbiblical burden. And I believe she's still dead wrong. So I'm going to encourage you, go listen to that because I want you to listen to it, make your own decisions. This is where I walk. This is how I walk through it today. And I'm hoping it helps you. But I hope it also helps you young Christian parents who are being met with this kind of burdening that I don't think is fair for you to have to go through. Your decision should be made by what is what most honors God and what is best for your family. And then down somewhere out in those other concentric circles as you work outward, then things like community, city, others come into play. But you should not ever be told that you have to think about some other family or some other set of families who may not have the privilege that you do to make these choices. And I would also push back against that. Any family member, and, and Dr. Uh, Dr. Pennington, excuse me, forgot his name. Dr. Pennington made an argument that it did cost them. It was hard for them. So the idea that it's somehow you're more privileged to have that choice I, I think every family that does, does so at sacrifice. Whether it's charter school, private school, homeschool. You do so at sacrifice. You lose something. Not everybody can make that choice, I agree. But you're not privileged because you chose sacrifice for your children. That is an unfair burden. That's an unfair assessment to be placing on anyone. And because Jen Wilkin had an opportunity to have good schools and had good educational background and good family members involved, doesn't mean that everybody else does. And she does acknowledge that, but she's still making that argument. And that's not right. And that's not fair. And Christian, you should not feel that burden. So I'm hoping this gives you something else to consider. And folks, some of you may be like me. You're, you're, you're done with the, uh, the education portion of your family. Um, they, they've moved on to college. They've moved on to careers or they're in that process. Um, you, you, may, you may not have kids, but you know people who are, are making these decisions. I'm going to ask you, share this. Again, we always say this is, has nothing to do with numbers. Share this because I don't think it's right for someone like Jen Wilkin to make the argument she did. Now, if she wants to make a pro-public school argument, cool, go for it. If you want to make an affirmative argument, cool, go for it. But don't take secular argumentation, attach it to scripture, and then add it as a burden on Christians. That's not right. So, hopefully this has been helpful. Hopefully this benefits you in some way. Uh, thank you for putting up with me for an hour and 24 minutes. <laughs> Sorry that Rich couldn't be here. Uh, you know, it's just Unfortunately, uh, family duties sometimes will always take a uh, priority over a podcast. And uh, we always try to make sure he's here because I don't even think I like the sound of my own voice for an hour and a half. So <laughs> thank you again, guys. We really appreciate, really appreciate your time and, and really appreciate the, uh, the input we get from you. Some of you have been very gracious in the things that you've sent to us. 
Um, it seems like a lot more interaction from you guys lately, and thank you. If there are things that can be helpful to you with this, with this podcast, if there are ways that we can address topics like this to help you think through things biblically, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, even if you have a gripe, I, I've always said before, we have no problem with, um, with, with any kind of you know, contrary view. Just be respectful and, and, and don't name call. And, and if you're going to go to scripture, make sure it's in context that we've always, we've always said that. And I don't think we've really had anybody that's ever been rude um, as much as, a, except for during the last week when we talked about Asbury and talked about the chosen, some of you really proved you didn't hear a word we said. You just proved our points for us. <laughs> So anyway, anyway, I'm going to let you guys go. Thank you for spending time with us again this week. God bless you guys. Whatever you do, do uh, this week. Make sure, number one, as Rich always says, make sure you share the, uh, the biblical way of salvation with somebody. And then beyond that, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Don't worry about all the secular arguments. Whatever you do this week, do it for the glory of God. God bless you guys. Good night. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.